Welcome to the Brain Health Revolution podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Sherzai. Dean and I are very excited to be here today with you all. Um, and the topic of today's discussion is about the alleged fabrication in Alzheimer's research and the recent articles that have been published around the topic. But before we take a deep dive into this uh, interesting conversation, I wanted to take a few moments to advertise our NeuroAcademy platform because we believe so strongly in the concept of brain health in a community setting. I would like to invite you to join our NeuroAcademy, which is an online community. It's membership-based environment outside of social media, where you will have access to multiple evidence-based on-demand courses and engage with a thriving and a supportive community of people on a journey towards better brain health. You'll be connected with us, two preventive neurologists and lifestyle specialists, as well as a team of moderators who will guide you. With your monthly or annual subscription, you will have access to monthly live Q&A sessions, live cooking sessions, live podcasts and Q&As with remarkable health leaders, ongoing on-demand courses on lifestyle, nutrition and cooking, neurocoaching, anxiety, and so many courses on various topics related to brain health. You will be able to get continual education, CE, CME credits if you're interested, and also receive certification after taking courses. You'll get everything you need to achieve optimal health, a better, sharper memory, and prevent cognitive decline. You can join us by visiting neuroacademy.com. Thank you so much for your time. This is a very interesting concept, a very interesting uh, piece of information that came to us. Um, it's quite controversial if it, it turns out to be true. First of all, before we even go any further, the allegations have been raised. There seems to be some consistency in the data against uh, the people that have been accused, but that has not been corroborated, has not been validated, it's still being investigated by the governing bodies and the university and the publishing journal and system. So we have to wait for that. But nonetheless, there is some inconsistencies. And before we go any further, I want to kind of get us um, reoriented. Whenever there's controversy in science, even if it's supportive of our perspective or against our perspective, we really have to speak to the greater science because whenever people find a weakness or an error or fabrication, they attack science that couldn't be further from the truth. Actually, it's the strength of science because scientific methodology has a method that you can follow. And even if somebody fabricates it, you can actually um, identify the fabrication in the same scientific methods that actually created the fabrication. So that's the strength of science where you follow the data, you make sure that the data is valid, you make sure that the way the data was captured, arrived to, analyzed, processed, is reproducible, validated, and others can reproduce them as well. And then you can say it's reality. It's a beautiful system. It's not a perfect system, but it's a beautiful system. And it doesn't speak to the weakness, but it speaks to the strength of the science. But nonetheless, after all of that, uh, having said that, I would have to say that this is, if it turns out to be true, this is going to be a major, major cataclysmic change in, in the science around Alzheimer's. All right, so let's tell our audience what this is all about because some people might actually not have heard about this. So recently on July 22nd, I believe, 21st of July, a an article was published in Science, which is a very, very popular online and in-print magazine 
that talks about the latest uh, in the world of science. Extremely high impact score, which means that it's it's looked upon as as a very valid, um, highly validated and uh, uh, respected journal. It has um, the public side where articles are published for the general population. Yeah. And it also has a scientific journal where researchers actually publish their papers. And it has multiple different uh, segments. There mm -hmm. is a, you know, a, a general science um, magazine, and then there is immunology, there's robotics, there's signaling, translational medicine, etc. So this was published in the general science uh, magazine. And the title of the article was blots on a field so it's a question and the subtitle said a neuroscience image sleuth finds signs of fabrication in scores of alzheimer's articles threatening a reigning theory of the disease and uh, essentially i'd like to take some time to kind of just go over this article for some of you who haven't read it and uh, dean maybe you can actually expand on some of the mm -hmm. sections so um, an investigation was started in August of 2021, and a neuroscientist and a physician, Dr. Matthew Schrag, who we actually have the pleasure of knowing, um, he trained as an MD-PhD in Loma Linda University, and he was such a brilliant medical student when I was a resident there. And now he's a physician and a scientist at Vanderbilt University. According to the article, he got a call uh, from you know a, um, a lawyer or a legal team and that essentially started this huge millstorm of possible scientific misconduct. A colleague of Dr. Schrags wanted to connect him to an attorney investigating an experimental drug for Alzheimer's, which is called Simufilam. Uh, the drug developer, the pharmaceutical company, was Kosova Sciences. It claimed that it improved cognition, and it did so by repairing a protein that can block sticky brain deposits of the protein amyloid beta. And amyloid beta protein has been the hallmark of Alzheimer's uh, disease pathology and the main focus of research for many, many years. I would say decades, correct? Um, actually, from the very start when Eloise Alzheimer's in the turn of the century, 19, from 19th to 20th century, actually discovered the first case of Alzheimer's and then looked at the pathology in the brain and identified amyloid. Right, exactly. All right, so the attorney's clients were two prominent neuroscientists uh, who are um, essentially somehow affiliated to the pharmaceutical company's stocks. Um, they believed that some research that related this particular medication may have been fraudulent. So Dr. Schrag was asked to look into it and to report to the legal team and the neuroscientists what the deal was. And so after Dr. Schrag started looking into the data and he looked further into the source of the information that led to this research, he found some problems. Absolutely. And uh, specifically speaking, one of the most important seminal papers that directed this line of research that was published in the Journal of Nature in 2006, um, according to Dr. Schrag, the images that were published there were flawed. And this particular influential study was done by some scientists from the University of Minnesota. And Dr. Schrag initially found that um, some of these images were essentially not representative 
of the true data and that several of these images were essentially either, you know, this is, is this is, uh, you know, allegation that it was essentially copy pasted um, and there were a lot of errors that he found out. So he reported that to the legal team, but he also became essentially a whistleblower to this research and he reported it to the NIH. And this is a serious allegation because since then, millions, if not billions of dollars have been spent on this particular line of research. What do you mean by six then? Since then, you mean by the time, since the paper was originally published in 2006. And and it has directed research ever since. That's right. Um, The idea that uh, amyloid might have been might be involved or uh, might be causal or um, uh, to Alzheimer's is not new. It's been for, like I said, for decades. And ever since we've found out that amyloid was potentially rela- ca- not ca- causal but but strongly correlational, we've been trying to do different things in order to reduce its production, whether by affecting the enzymes that produce it. Uh, whether it's the, to directly attack amyloid itself or create antibodies against it. And this paper in 2006, mm-hmm. w- which looked at the, the imaging, uh, pathologic imaging, really strongly um, influenced the, the science to push that concept even further, the yeah. amyloid model right. of Alzheimer's. Right. This was a, a six-month investigation um, by science, and um, it was corroborated by some other top Alzheimer's researchers as well. Um, the names have been published. This was Dr. George Perry from University of Texas, San Antonio, and Dr. Forsyth from UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, who reviewed Dr. Schrag's findings at science's request. And they also concurred with his overall conclusion um, that there were several images that were shockingly blatant examples of image tampering. And basically, I'm actually reading some of the article lines just to make sure that I'm accurate. The authors appear to have composed figures by piecing together parts of photos from different experiments. Uh, says Elizabeth Bick, who is a molecular biologist and a well-known forensic image consultant. Uh, Quote, the obtained experimental results might not have been the desired results and that data might have been changed to better fit a hypothesis, close quote. If that turns out to be the case, it's just remarkable that uh, this is not an accidental thing. This was, if if true, an active uh, process of fabricating, taking parts of image that did not uh, support their hypotheses and finding other images that actually did and superimposing it on it. And and that's just, that would be absolutely devastating, definitely to the scientists, which would probably lose their grants, they would lose their um, their positions, as well as all the, uh, they've been asked, if true, that they would also uh, be responsible for giving back the money. Um, well, at least the universities would. And that would, uh, uh, and, and that's not as bad as the fact that science has, would have been, misdirected for decades in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. This is not new. There have been cases of scientists fabricating and and recreating and and falsifying data. There are many, many cases of this. And um, uh, there are a lot of cases of them being caught and then face the consequences. 
But always what it does more than anything else, maybe in the short term it gets the, the, the scientists the grant that they wanted um, and, and uh, the notoriety that comes with it. But in the long run, it profoundly affects the science and all the people that suffer from the disease that you're looking at. Um, uh, be it uh, Huntington's disease, be it Alzheimer's disease, be it, be it MS, multiple sclerosis, or any other disease, anything that misdirects science for a few years, its consequences are suffering of the patients for that many years that, that could have been going in the right direction, the, mm -hmm. the science could have been going in the right direction. That's why we are very, very interested in, in the outcome of this, because we are in Alzheimer's research. Absolutely. And we've been talking about alternatives now. And our patients are looking for yeah. hope and for treatment too. So how does this affect the current research that is being done in uh, Simufilam? So essentially, this medication um, is targeting um, amyloid beta protein, or at least the filament part of amyloid beta <clears throat> protein. And if the theory behind the mechanism of action is flawed, then the medication is of no use. And all this money being spent is essentially being directed in the wrong um, side. Is, is, that, is that the case, Dean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the audience knows that we've, for decades, you and I have been talking about the fact that there, uh, if amyloid is a pathway, and we, we're kind of incredulous about that as being a major pathway, there's some evidence that there are a group of Alzheimer's patients that are definitely driven by amyloid and, and tau, to be exact, uh, those two proteins. Um, and we've talked about the 3%, the, the presenilin-1 variety, presenilin-2 variety, and APP that are really strongly driven by amyloid and the amyloid process, and maybe even some of the other ones. But we think that a great number of um, uh, the rest of the dementia cases and, uh, and Alzheimer's cases are driven by a, a more complex picture. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't know what that number is going to turn out to be. And we're not here, you know, wringing our hands saying, look what, we, what, what we've been talking about. See, we're right again. We really are not. We, we just want the science. And if, even if it meant that 20% would be cured with a pathway of amyloid, that would be huge. In the United States alone, 6.5 million people suffer from Alzheimer's. That's 20% of 6 million. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It's it really one, is. So uh, 1.2 million people or, or, or more. So we definitely don't wish for science to fail, but at the same time, it's critical that the correct science goes out so that people are not misdirected. And at least in the case of amyloid, we think there's an extremely high over-focus on one molecule. And in fact, for the last couple of decades, it's been singularly amyloid model and everything has been thrown at it and everything has failed. Mm -hmm. And we think that some research should have been done in other directions, not just tau, but also in the directions of lifestyle and diabetes and insulin resistance and cholesterol and high blood pressure and, and all the other cumulative effects of aging and or, or poor lifestyle or, or environmental factors that could be contributing and starting this cascade that ends up in Alzheimer's and other dementias. But it was remarkable that how singular-minded we have been when it comes to Alzheimer's. It's been amyloid or nothing. Right. And even when the data was pretty strong on some of the population and a tau model later on in the disease, even that took a while to take a hold because amyloid was, was almost like, I don't want to sound bombastic, but amyloid was king. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just kind of going into a little bit of detail for people people to understand what you know how much work it actually took for the researchers to uh, make sure that they were 
uh, these allegations were not taken lightly. And the kind of images that they uh, were focusing on and investigating are called uh, Western blots. And you and I wanted to kind of give our audience a bit of an idea of what that essentially is. So it's a lab technique, and it is used to detect a specific protein in blood or tissue sample. And essentially, they use a gel um, electrophoresis. And uh, through that process, they're able to separate different kinds of protein. And it just spreads on a gel surface based on its size, based on some other characteristics as well. And in that paper, and as this has been described in um, this, the, the Journal of Science, they found multiple different similarities and errors. And so... The scientists, specifically Dr. Schrag and his team, they contacted multiple um, authors and multiple journals because it's not just one paper that described it. Several other papers that came from that particular seminal paper also based their um, information on, on those images. It was one of the most cited papers since 2006. Agreed. Which means that when a paper is, po is highly cited, it means that other research projects are based on that paper. Right. Other conversations are based on that paper. Other uh, proposals and, and grants are based on that paper. It's, and so it, the, the sphere of influence was uh, profound. That's why this is so controversial. Exactly. And so we're still um, waiting to hear from the primary author, who I probably will butcher his name, but Dr. Lesney from University of Minnesota, and his colleague, Dr. Ash, um, who touted this particular protein, the A-beta star 56 uh, protein, as you know a very important element in the brain tissue of Alzheimer's uh, patients or al Alzheimer's disease models. They were done in anim on animals, essentially. Mm -hmm. So nobody's heard from them as of yet, and this um, conversation is still brewing, and we're still waiting to hear from the parties involved to see what the next steps are. The investigators didn't have access to the raw data, only the ones that have been published. Is that a problem? It is. I mean, um, because you need the raw data to know that um, the inconsistencies that you're seeing uh, are, are true inconsistencies or, or not. Uh, if you don't get the raw data, you can still with a great deal of strength from the analysis say that, yeah, there's a there's a strong likelihood that this is uh, false, uh, but uh, it would be much easier to validate, you know, if it's true or not, or or negate if you had the raw data, because mm -hmm. of, uh, but but that's that's uh, what we're waiting for. I want to make sure that we again expand on the concept that um, this is um, something that is seen in science. It's not a weakness of of science. But it's also the origin of this kind of error comes from the fact that there's so much pressure on some of these scientists, uh, ourselves being uh, some of them, to live from grant to grant, from funding to funding. Right. And they say, publish or perish. And it's not just publish or perish. Publish in a highly uh, uh, high-impact journal or perish. Right. You know, if That's you don't uh, um, uh, publish in, in science or in, in nature or in cell or you know, one of the big journals or JAMA or New England Journal, which have very high impact, you're not going to get grant funding. Because at the end of the day, NIH, which is a major source of funding, or National Science Foundation or some of the foundations, it, they, they have a couple of things to rely on as far as, you know, whether to give their money or not. 
One is uh, the, the location of where the science is being made, because that tells you whether the science can be done there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if somebody comes from their garage and says, I can do some major research, this is not the early 1900s where Edison did uh, most of his work um, uh, from his garage, which then turned into a huge, huge uh, factory, but uh, laboratory. But uh, now you need a major environmental support, community support, university support. Um, so the university name, the location does matter. The second thing that matters is your um, uh, record of publication and research. And that's where the pressure comes in. You have right. to publish regularly and publish in high impact journals. And then ironically, thirdly, is the idea, because a lot of people have great ideas. We're talking about hundreds of universities around the world now. It's no longer just Yale, Harvard and Columbia and you know, Stanford and a couple of other places. Now you have a thousand universities in the United States doing amazing work. And, and that's not all. Uh, South America, um, uh, Europe, some of the greatest research we've, we've seen is in, in Italy and in, you know, in, in Sweden and, and, and other places and, and now China as well and India. So the competition is fierce. And if somebody's under pressure to publish, they might be forced to fabricate. Not us. We, we fight for the good fight. Uh, for, for, that's why we took the path less traveled, which is focused on prevention which was not popular at all. Uh, if you're not doing some kind of molecular work where it moves one enzyme or one molecule or, or blocks one pathway, it's not going to be funded. Um, so um, the, the pressure is, should be addressed. The mechanism of analysis should be addressed. How a paper is published and how others look at it should be reviewed again. But after having said all that, mm -hmm. I mean, right now we get hundreds of thousands of papers published every year. Who's going to do all of this? I think I, as you and I have talked about this, you know, the the Swiss cheese model of how errors are caught in whether it's in health or in the realm of research and publication hasn't really been stabilized. There's a lot of subjectivity and the committee on publication ethics, you know, has to actually step up to make sure that there's somebody who can keep an eye on image manipulation or data manipulation uh, per se. You and I have seen that, you know, for, for some journals that are on the lower impact, which means that, you know, they're basically accepting anything and everything that is out there. They don't have a lot of reviewers who spend enough time to make sure that the data is checked and that there is an oversight of what is being published. Um, the, whether it's image integrity standards or data integrity standards, that's something that has to be improved regardless of um, you know what, what journal it is. How do we do that? I'm not sure at this point. At the end of the day, we're humans. We have human systems. Um, um, and human capacity to lie and, and uh, uh, falsify is there as well. But at the same time, the uh, integrity of scientists uh, is something that we've counted on for a long time. Agreed. The other thing is reproducibility is another factor that should be uh, looked at. Whenever somebody comes with a result, we should take the time to see if others who are not invested in, in the same concept 
can reproduce the results as well. Right. And also, I think it would be important for, like all, like most journals do, I think the raw data should be available. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of journals actually publish their supplemental data, which, you know, includes the raw data, so that if somebody wants to, uh, you know, perform a meta-analysis or even further analysis on the data, it can be made available. So I agree that there are ways to improve that. Um, I do agree with you that the most important thing is for us not to um, lose hope. And it's pretty sad to see some statements that are being, um, you know, propagated about this particular uh, news, you know, that, you know, things like you can't trust science or we've been lied to and things of that nature. I think that's a bit extreme. There are a lot of phenomenal scientists and physicians and doctors who are doing such amazing work. And like you said, you know, human error happens. Uh, and the fact that we're all talking about this and the fact that this news has come out on science and everybody's stopping the research and they're going back to see what led to this in itself is hope. Absolutely. And it's a positive thing. And it's not, you know, directing fingers at anyone, but essentially improving the mechanism to do more ethical research and to find answers for very difficult questions. Science is one of the areas that as much as people think that we're investing in it, actually, it's not as highly invested in as, as some of the other areas of our life. And the big picture, it's actually probably the most important area because it's, it's improving our health, it's improving our system. Science is not just medical science. We're talking about everything around us has to do, deal with science. So there should be greater investment in systems of science. For example, when you're publishing, you, you send your papers to journals and if, if it's a high impact journal, that means they have their own money. They have their own investigators that can actually peer review. They're not influenced by others. And uh, so they are really out there to, to hunt for, for bad science. And that's actually the way it should be. Mm -hmm. But a great majority of journals don't have their own um, peer reviewers. So they ask the, per the very person that's actually giving them the paper, the research to be published, they're supposed to provide their own their own uh, reviewers. Mm. So there's a bias already. If there is more funding towards a, a proper review process, a, a more open journal uh, um, evaluation system, a more open system of publication, so general public can can get an um, eye on the data as well. Yeah. Um, then there's there's greater transparency, more eyeballs less likelihood of fraud uh, slipping through, data being transparent. I mean, of course, I, we know that some of the data has to be protected because of legal issues and, um, uh, and uh, ownership issues. But, but nonetheless, uh, a great deal of research doesn't have those limitations and it should be open to the general public. And that's where funding comes in. Especially if it's de-identified so people exactly, don't Exactly, exactly. De-identified meaning that the name of the people and, and um, so that uh, HIPAA compliance is maintained that nobody's um, uh, threatened as far as their information being revealed. All of that should be done, but mm. that requires more funding in the, in, in the scientific process. Agreed. And, and, and also bringing in the public Agreed. into this. It, it, I think, again, I want, we actually started talking about this because so many of our friends um, in the social media realm and others said, oh, look at this. This is such a weakness of science. Look what happened again. Again, another fraud. I'm, I'm saying if not science, then what? You have a system and we have to improve the system, a system that's not reliant on power, on, 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 on uh, finances and things of that nature, but 
Um, there are some flaws that we should address. Again, reproducibility is important and validity is important and making sure that there are a lot of eyeballs on the data that's important. And the other thing is don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm, when there's true. when you're looking at a disease as massive as Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's yeah. and you've gone at it for decade after decade with failure after failure, you know, 400 mouse models succeeded. You, everything that you could think of worked on mouse models, but and, and they were all amyloid models. Yeah. But when it came to humans, they all failed. Mm. There should be a reassessment that maybe we should actually approach things in multiple different directions just for the sake of even mechanistic approach being better elucidated. Right. And, and not just myopic, linear, all eggs in one basket uh, science that has failed us over and over again. It's a concept that actually um, uh, put us uh, on our heels. Uh, we, we were um, um, thrown off. Uh, by 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 how if this turns out to be true how devastating this was for the last two decades and all the millions of dollars that were spent in the wrong direction mm -hmm. and we see the outcome of that right we see the alzheimer's patients that come to us day in and day out where we have no medication no treatment yeah. and by the way these the, these patients we had our own grandparents who, who are these kind of patients then become desperate and they're open to abuse by charlatans that sell them vitamin concoctions. Right, right. So instead of that, if we would actually focus on prevention and other pathways as well, it would be wonderful and work on systems that are more transparent, more, um, uh, more validated. Beautifully stated. So what's next? So I, immediately, what are some of the damages that have been done based on what we're seeing right now, Dean? millions of dollars wasted if this is true again we keep saying that it has not been fully um, uh, corroborated that it was a fabrication we still don't have the raw data um, um, the final you know uh, conclusion has not been made as far as whether it was a fabrication but there seems to be strong indications that it was if true it was a devastating loss of time. Right. Like you said, um, you know, scientists, when they get to that field, obviously the system is um, arranged in a way where, you know, you have mentors and you essentially kind of continue your mentors' work as well. So there's been uh, a myopic approach to Alzheimer's disease. And yeah. I think you and I have been talking about this for many, many years. <laughs> yeah. um, and what would be some of the things that you would like to see for neurologists and neuroscientists learning from this issue? Question the data. I, I, one other thing that stands out of, the, out of this is Matthew, Dr. Schreg, when, when we were at Loma Linda, he was working uh, with a friend of ours, a neurosurgeon, who was working at the iron model of... of yeah, uh, the iron uh, metabolism. Uh, yeah, iron metabolism. deposition. Yeah, exactly, iron deposition. Schreg's... Uh, particular area of research was that iron deposition in the brain as well as other metals and other things as well but but that was the main thing and part of, I believe that was his thesis his research yes um, a PhD thesis and it was beautiful he actually found nothing he didn't he, his conclusion was that there was no evidence that iron was a causal um, was cause for Alzheimer's I remember one of the conversation because he was so incredulous he was he questioned um, um, the things that were in front of him. One of the things that I learned from him, and I was a senior of his, was that when you look at even meta-analysis, you're looking at data that has, there's a bias in the data. 
uh, there is a negative publication bias, meaning that if a data, if there's negative results, it doesn't get published. So things that get published are usually positive results. So you have a whole set of the left side of the curve. I'm using that as a metaphoric way, but actually it's in statistic, the left side of the curve. You're missing all the data that was negative. So you're, all you're seeing is the positive data. So the same thing happened with iron deposition. All these papers that showed some correlation between iron and Alzheimer's, but none of the papers that were negative were ever published until you actually go to the science, go to um, um, you know, clinicaltrials.gov, look in the past, do some analysis. If anybody put in other you know, research proposals about iron and they never published, and then you talk to the scientists and say, oh yeah, the result was negative. So we didn't publish. Why wouldn't you publish a negative result? Because it's not as interesting. It's not as sexy. So the journals won't publish them. What? That's a flaw right there. Right. The journals should have as much um, uh, interest in publishing negative results as positive results. So even this you know, if you listen to some talk shows, they talk about meta-analysis and clinical trials and, and all of this, but not recognizing that even there, there's potential for flaw. Right. There's a, a positive result a bias that pushes meta-analysis often falsely. So you say false positive um, results toward a direction that might not be the case because mm -hmm. all you saw was the positive results. All the negative results were never published. So we have to have a better look at the data, both positive and negative. There should be some um, um, incentive for journals publishing negative results as well. There should be an incentivization for um, openness of data to the general public, especially now with social media, with systems that actually can, can bring eyes of millions of people onto the data maybe even better systems of interpreting data where a lot of the hard work that people might not be interested in is done for them with AI and machine learning. And then here's the result. And mm -hmm. so millions of people can look at the positive and negative results, do their own analysis. Let's fix the system. Let's use this occasion if true or otherwise, even if it's not true, to reassess how we look at the data, how we validate data, how we come up with conclusions, how then we fund research and is, is it just in one direction? Or even if there's strong evidence in one direction, we should actually invest in alternative pathways as well so that maybe we can actually have a picture of mechanistic approaches other than the one that's being uh, taking over the, the consciousness of, of researchers. Mm. Um, this is an important time in research in Alzheimer's, but in research in general, keep your eyes open, keep a lookout for how this story turns out. We'll keep you updated. And uh, this was definitely one of those investigations that interested us. At the minimum, I think there will be a lot of advances in other potential Alzheimer's disease causes, and people are going to be forced to look at the bigger picture, and they're not going to be sidelined by the amyloid mafia anymore. That's right. <laughs> That's what it was uh, mentioned in the article, too. And so... I'm excited and I'm um, always basking in your um, infectious uh, positivity. So hopefully we'll have more for you all about the subject and we'll keep you updated. But this was quite disturbing, but at the same time, an eye-opening concept. Mm -hmm.
Thank you so much for joining us and listening in. Please take a few moments to leave a review on our podcast so that others can find it and take advantage of this resource on brain health. When you get a chance, please check out our NeuroAcademy online community, which is a membership-based environment outside of social media where you'll have access to evidence-based on-demand courses and engage with a thriving and a supportive community of people on a journey towards better brain health. It's neuroacademy.com.